Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, David Bailey, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Sakura and be inspired. Welcome to the Sanctum Sacorum Podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. We're here to help you serve these literary offerings at your DCC RPG table. Or, as we're doing tonight, cinematic offerings. I'm Bob, and with us tonight are Jen. Good evening. And our resident master of the Sinister Six-Gun, creator of Weird Frontiers, David Beatty. <laughs> I feel like I should walk out with a wrestling belt and a silky robe when you say that. Luchador mask, man. Luchador mask. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for having me back, guys. Tonight, we dig into a Lovecraftian film that brings some chills to the Old West, Dead Birds. Jen, why don't you tell us about it? A group of Confederate deserters, with the help of an escaped slave and an army nurse, stage a robbery at a bank holding a cache of rebel gold. Needing a place to rest for the night, the criminals set up camp in a mansion overlooking an abandoned plantation. En route through the fields, they find a strange scarecrow, which they believe is actually a crucified man, and shoot a strange, deformed creature. It soon becomes obvious that the old house is not as empty as they thought. The former owner was a gentleman farmer with a wife and two children. When his wife died... He attempted to bring her back by sacrificing his children, slaves, and any other living creature, hoping that black magic acquired from his slaves' native rights would return her to life. However, this simply allowed evil spirits to take over his victims, and these remain in the house, attacking all who dare enter. A storm is coming, both in the night skies and in the shadowy plantation house. This was actually really good, and it's, what, a 2005 film? Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is a great choice, Dave. <laughs> well, you know, when, <laughs> I like once I started working on the project, of course, you know, it's a lot easier to watch a movie, obviously, than it is to read a book when you're trying to write a book. So I made a, yeah. a very long list, and most of them were laughable, but there are a few choice nuggets there, and I think this was one of the few that really kind of shined to me. It was definitely one of the better Weird West movies I've watched, and I like the fact that it had kind of a slow build to it, and it was kind of cool to see some of the actors that are starring in it. Maybe this was just before they made a bigger break. Like It Michael had a Sh- great cast, yeah. Yeah, Michael Shannon Clyde. He's one of those guys where you see him in a lot of movies, but I do know he played, I think, Zod in uh, Man of Steel, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, Mark Boone Jr. And, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy who played Franks on NCIS. Yeah. And you can't forget Phone Home. We've got. Oh, uh, yes, Elliot. Yeah. That, that weirded me out. Henry, Henry Thomas. <laughs> like, it's, it's like he doesn't age, you know? It's kind of funny, but every now and then he pops in. So there's some pretty cool, uh, cast members in it. 
Mark Boone Jr., who, of course, has been in everything, it seems like, but I think his biggest stint was probably in Sons of Anarchy. But it's a good cast. I think it kind of pulls together. And the creatures that were running around were really cool. They were creepy and had that Lovecraft vibe to them. You didn't know. At the beginning, I wasn't sure if they were uh, experiments or some kind of monsters. So it was kind of cool how we find out that they're uh, the actual deformed versions of the children this sicko was trying to bring back. Yeah, I will say that full circle thing was just tidy and precise. Tidy and <laughs> I really, precise. <laughs> I, I liked that a lot. It ends the same way it starts. Yeah, the cornfields all around the farmhouse were pretty ominous, and the things running around in those, of course, were really creepy and kind of built some tension. And the house itself was kind of normal until you get down into the basement, which seemed like it was pulled straight out of hell. Obviously, this is where the original owner of the house did his sacrifice and torture in hopes of bringing his family back. So, yeah. And then, of course, there's the the cast members who are all criminals, you know, who (laughs) who basically shot up a town and uh, robbed a bank. And then they get under the the same roof and you can see that non-trusting vibe that you see sometimes. It kind of puts the characters against each other. And then, of course, you add that element of horror and, and things are going wrong and it just kind of adds to that whole element. So I think it came together as a good movie. I'm totally with you. I mean, while while a movie like this could really be set almost anywhere and any time, it certainly fits in with the Weird West setting, and it's perfect for Weird Frontiers. This entire thing could easily have just been shot in the Weird Frontiers world. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. I liked how each character really stood apart from one another. I mean, I'm used to seeing a lot of these lower-budget independent films where any character could really be any other. And all of these characters were very individual. Yeah. You know, yeah, they yeah. all had their own strong traits. They had their own flaws. And uh, I greatly enjoyed that. And it was just neat. I mean, the imagery of the dead cornfield stretching out as, as far as you can see. And when you tie that in with symbolically finding a dead bird, it represents the death of a loved one. So this single dead bird that gets stepped on as they get to the house is a warning of what's to come. It's a warning that the one who's been shot is already as good as dead and the rest will follow. It was, it was very tidy. Now you're going to have me freaking out. I had really wondered about that because it's the only titular image that we have. I mean, the movie is called <laughs> dead birds and we see one, but that one was nightmare fuel. I mean, they pan down to it, and they stay there for, like, 30 yeah. seconds. I'm like, uh... Yeah, Bob, you're going to have me creeped out from now on whenever I see a dead bird. Thanks a lot. Well, you're welcome. Well, I mean, symbolically, that's that's what it represents. They are the birds. I thought there were so many good creepy bits throughout. I mean, I'm thinking of the old man that they find in between their bank heist oh, yeah. and the plantation. Who we see later in the movie, too. There's this old guy, and the conversation's like, hey, good day today? Yep, eight so far. He didn't specify if he had found the deserters or killed them. Yeah, we them. can kind of guess. <laughs> but there were eight deserters so far, and it just showed him and one other person, like, heaving these bodies onto a cart. And going through their pockets. like, that's a good mystery in and of itself. I will say that this movie includes the worst pillow talk Ever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think I killed a kid today. And I have to stop and wonder, is that what triggered that child 
you know, the spirit or the monster that God, I became really that child. That. Strike that and reverse it. Uh, <laughs> the monster that had been demonized, basically, appeared in that room shortly after he uttered that. There is just some nasty business in the nasty, basement yeah. as the door finally opens. And, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, the, this they find this woman tied to the floor just screaming oh god it's here or he's here oh god he's here and what happened next was certainly not what i expected at all and i kind of wish i had never watched that particular <laughs> scene that was that was disturbing another really good scene during the flashbacks oh, yeah. would be the skinned that was well sacrificed done, slave oh man yeah great great special effects on that one too I think Todd is by far my favorite character, and I really appreciate the anti-slavery messages that really tie to that yeah. time. Yeah. Hey, boy! No, ain't no boy here. And saving his life doesn't mean you own it. Yeah. Okay, I, I really, really like this character. And then he finds this weird stuff and never tells the rest of that, his party. I was kind of then I started thinking, well, he's a freed slave and <laughs> these are a bunch of white Confederate soldiers. I, In his position, I wouldn't have told him either. Y'all's on your own. You kind of torn on this one. So maybe his story was how yeah. it wasn't going to end up going, right? And there, there were two bits towards the end that got me thinking because it kind of begins the same way it ends and, and it seems yeah. like this cycle. Was the stolen gold tied into the curse of Hollister Place? I think it was using the gold to lure more people in. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. But these guys rode into town with a dog. And if you look at what the dog ended up being at the end, was dog ever really a dog to begin with? That's true. I didn't think about that. Because they were given this info about the Hollister Place from basically a, a former soldier that they'd been friends with. And then betrayed. Good point. So how far back does the foreboding go? Well, in the story, they say that the guy that told them about the house had never been to the house. I think that the dog changed just like they did. I don't know if I believe that. Because at the end, we start seeing a whole lot play out that we did <laughs> not see happen. Oh, those poor horses. Yeah. Well, not just the horses, but... <laughs> Those poor, poor horses. <laughs> but we were talking about how it comes full circle. And the, the main characters, yeah. what happens to them, it could very well be the same things happened with the dog. I love how we're trying not to spoil everything. Well, I, yeah, I mean, it's a 15-year-old movie. <laughs> I, think we're, I think we are. <laughs> yeah, it really held yeah. up. Even some of the, the little touches on the set. I mean, they obviously just used an old house, but panning down one hallway, yeah. you could see the water damage on the ceiling. Okay, I kind of appreciate stuff like that. It was really nicely done, and just like the furnishings in the kids' room, those low, low beds like you'd have for children. It was, it was, yeah, it was nicely done. Well done. Creepiest dolly ever. Yeah. Well, <laughs> speaking of creepy dolly, why don't we talk about some things to stat then? I don't want to stat the creepy dolly. <laughs> <laughs> there was so much cool stuff, though. I mean, there was the spell used to quote-unquote raise the dead, which certainly wasn't really bringing the dead back, but... But we know it opened a door of some sort. Yeah, then that's, I think, the term they used is, it's a door. You could stat the demon children, or the demon hound-like things in the cornfield. 
There was that wonderful sequence, though, where you see uh, the ghost of the dead father, kind of the, the haint, if you will, where yeah. he, he, he arrives and delivers exposition. And that was really cool. And it looks like the way the scene plays out, he obviously does more than just talk. It just happens off camera. And so that would be a, a great expansion on Undead. And I want to know what it was about the well that managed to hold the demon child in there until Bumblefoot decided to uh, throw a rope down. Like, you know, okay, so so you've been searching this house because you think there's people there and you're going to have to kill them. So you go outside and someone's calling for help at the bottom of a well. And rather than say, well, too bad, because we were going to kill you anyway, you throw a rope down and drag (laughs) a monster out of the well. That's just, that's poor planning on their part. Yeah, that was the only moment where I was like, uh, why are you doing that? There was another moment. Did they end up finding him after he was pulled into the well or whatever? Did they ever end up finding his body? He's glimpsed out the window once or twice. Because I'm not convinced that he wasn't the one trying to get into the outhouse. He might have been. Yeah, maybe so. And the other thing is, and I found it very interesting, is when Todd is going through the house and he's following the tracks Mm -hmm. that he doesn't tell anybody about, Mm -hmm. and they go from shoe prints in the dust to clawed paw prints, that was my other moment of, seriously? Seriously, what, what? You're not going to tell anybody that there might be like a werewolf in the house? Yeah. And, and so that sort of transformation might be kind of fun if that's the result of a spell or a creature's attack effect or something. Those are, I think, all good things to stab. I think if you stat up something like that spell, perhaps it is inherently known by certain races or castes of people that operate within said circles. Because... That dude didn't even have to think. He glanced at it. He's like, oh, it's blah, 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 blah. Like, really? You knew that right off the top of your head? Are you serious? <laughs> that was like clue one of, uh, dude ain't right. Of a Todd knows a lot more than he's saying. Yeah. Uh-huh. I thought it might be fun to stat the gold itself mm-hmm. on the off chance that uh, oh, yeah. maybe it's something like a beacon to demons or something along those lines. Yeah, and even when the, the opening scene with the, the robbery, with all the shooting, you know, maybe some of the blood of the innocents actually spilled onto mm. that bag, and you could use that as a, Ooh, I like a backstory that. Yeah. to paint yeah. gold. And, I mean, each piece in that bag may have been originally held by somebody else, and all of their fates and histories combined to make this just a little bag of hell. <laughs> oh. A little bag of hell. I like that. I like I like the idea of this artifact of cursed gold that carries all these different curses. That's nice. And after my many visits back to the farm over the summers, I was honestly a little terrified by that giant field of dried out abandoned corn stalks that had never been harvested. <laughs> As well, yeah, you should that, be. That uh, yeah, that wasn't right. And then towards the end, there's this rainstorm that everybody's out in. And then, like, the next morning. Oh, yeah. And the stalks are just dry and crumbly again and bristling as people walk through them. I'm like, that ain't right. That ain't, is that ain't magic right. Or is it okay, continuity? so maybe I'll just say that a couple of days passed since they actually regained consciousness. Who knows? Yeah. But the corn stalks themselves could be a labyrinth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you could even, if you wanted to, I mean, if you were 
kind of working this into some sort of adventure, you could uh, actually stat up the house as an entity oh, itself. And all of these ghosts and demonic children were just, you know, minions all working, you know, with a similar purpose to drive the victims to certain places where they could be killed, maybe absorbed. You could even give the, the farmhouse a, kind of a sinister foothold for hellish planes or, you know, doorways into nastier places. Yeah. Dibs on not stabbing up the outhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Might be the classiest uh, part in there, Bob. <laughs> yeah, you've just, you've just, you know, I'm going to have to put a haunted outhouse in an adventure coming up right now just because of that. It's all his fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, what did you think about, like, props and audio for this? Please no outhouse. You guys came up with so many of the, the show notes that you have, which I'd forgotten. They're so wonderful. The things that you guys had are, are really great. The only thing I could really add to them was I think that, like Jen had touched upon, there was pretty much, I think it was raining through the, the movie with the exception of the end there. So, um, well, no, I guess when they first stumble upon the farmstead, it's not raining, but soon after we get our uh, ominous storm. It gets you, dark you know. suddenly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would keep some low-playing thunder soundtracks in the background that you Ooh. can pick up easily on Spotify and yeah, that's good for any game when you want to draw that tension it out. It is, isn't it? I get, I get to the point now to where I try and not use it because I think I use it too much now. So it's like loses its uh, <laughs> its appeal. But uh, you could very easily go to like a used bookstore and just find a book that looks like it's had, you know, a lot of use, maybe in not so good shape and use that to represent the book itself. Bob, I think you had mentioned some of the pages of the book could be used for spells, so you could even probably find some. I'm not, I haven't done that, but I'm betting if you Google searched like a parchment spell or something, you probably could find something to print up to kind of oh, yeah. illustrate, you know, some of the things that are in the book, but also some uh, old photos of like similar. Yeah. You know, yeah, like even you know those creepy old Tommy photos where the people are always looking like they're going to kill the photographer. Yeah, it's like nobody <laughs> smiled back then, and maybe it's because they, they had stand very still. Yeah, maybe they had bad teeth or something. I don't know what it was, but they honestly all look possessed. Very rarely yeah. do I see an old Tommy photo, and I don't think, damn, the devil's in them, you know, or something. But so now I almost want to go back and watch the movie again because when they first got there, Will was going through the bottom floor of this sprawling house and shining the lantern on some of these photos. So there were probably some family photos in there that we totally missed the first time. But, you know, if you have ghosts in an adventure, I I think especially for that time period, you could dig up some really creepy kids and stuff to to print (laughs) off and hand to your players. What about you, Bob? What did you... uh what do you think would be your props? Immediately, I think of gold coins, right? I mean, oh, yeah. The whole thing is a heist of gold coins, and you can buy plastic gold coins cheap. Or real ones if you don't want to spare an expense, you know, any expense. Well, you know, <laughs> well those, those you don't get real cheap. Uh, <laughs> but then I started thinking, rather than just throwing a bunch of plastic coins on the table, it'd be cooler if you had a big bank-style bag. Oh, yeah. And just fill it with washers. And tie it shut. And so you've got oh, that clank like and the that, clattering yeah. of a big bag of coins. Oh, a couple yeah, like get that. some coin slugs in there, yeah. Yeah, obviously the little bits of Civil War era costuming, if you really want to go all out. I mean, there's entire groups dedicated to Civil War recreation, so it's not like you can't find patterns or hats yeah. or things of that nature, even if you just want to leave like a hat on the table. That's kind of what I had for props, but man, when I started thinking about music. I mean, there's 
you know, murder ballads and like Appalachian outlaw songs really sprang to mind, like um, In the Pines and Duncan and Brady by Lead Belly. In the Pines has been in my head like all morning since we were going <laughs> to record this. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it, well, it's a great song. Pretty Polly by the Coon Creek Girls, Little Sadie by Lightning Wells, Brothers Four did a great version of Darlin' Corey. And then if you want to look at something a little bit more contemporary, Tom Waits did a version of Two Sisters. Really? Yeah, and it really kind of delivers on that Old West weird vibe. Of course, in that vein, there's also Blood on the Saddle by Tex Ritter, and that's just <laughs> discordant and weird and delightful. Uh, in Hell, I'll Be in Good Company by the Dead South, because I'll take any excuse for that song. Yeah. Yeah. There's old Confederate music, like Southern Soldier, Riding a Raid, Hard Times Come Again No More, The Wearing of the Gray, which goes to the tune of Wearing of the Green. <laughs> Another uh, Celtic tune repurposed, Wait for the Wagon, or uh, To Arms in Dixie, which uses the tune of Dixieland. All of those types of songs, you know, murder ballads and outlaw songs and Confederate music, all together, for me, sort of paints a soundtrack for this. What about you, Jim? So I will build on the spellbook idea that you and Dave had that you're just kind of building on top of. And I'll take it a step further and remind people that in this movie, all of the pages were written in cipher. It wasn't like words. Yeah. There was obviously a code to it. So you could play to puzzles. One of the creepiest visuals of just an item in any of the scenes was when Todd stumbled across a human jawbone just the bottom jaw. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't just the bone. There was still gristle and bits attached. <laughs> <laughs> so you could just lay a human jawbone out on the table and facsimile, if you will, and uh, get something I'm glad at Michael's. You clarified that. <laughs> get something at Michael's, really. You're glad. And, <laughs> and for the music... Um, I don't have any particular songs in mind, but Manly Wade Wellman put together a book of rebel songs called The Rebel really? Songster. Mm -hmm. Manly Wade Wellman was actually, um, I wouldn't call him a, a gray coat, but he may have had some sympathies. But, you know, Appalachia being what it is, eh, yeah. no stones thrown. Very That's cool. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. Now I'm going to have to run out and track down an album by Manly Wade Wellman. It's not an album. It's a book. Oh, it's a book. It's a book of okay. songs. I apologize. I wasn't clear on that. Yes, it is a book with real pages. As opposed to a book with fake pages. Correct. Like in the movie. Correct. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you guys are getting silly now. Um, maybe well, we move on to something. Dave's Contagious. Yeah. Well, sure, Jen. Why don't you tell us about your inspirations and reskin ideas? Um. Dave was talking about statting up the house. You could use that and mesh it in with the sinister sutures of the sempstress and just omit the NPC and maybe the room that that NPC is found in. Yeah. And you mm. could probably play this out in that setting. The memory montages really brought to yeah. mind Theater of the Hammed because they gave you these little images of the storybook happenings and, and scenes. And to me, some of those flashes were very similar. And then I would say, since I'm in a Shutter Mountains campaign. What? Uh, yeah, right? It's awesome. Andy Markham is running it. So and 
obviously the father was misled by the three. Yeah. Interesting. You? Well, I agree that Shutter Mountains are a great blend for Weird Frontiers. It's just sort of a natural expansion from the west to the east and to the mountains in the east. Yeah. And really, a lot of that stuff could easily just be moved to small town west, right? It doesn't all actually have to be Appalachian. It's a good basis for weird small town America. Yeah. Yeah. But I started thinking that you could take the adventure of the jeweler that dealt in Stardust. Ooh, yeah. And reskin that from a heist to a haunted house adventure. Because there's enough weirdness in there, the weird, like, bugs from yeah. out of time and space and things like that, that you could just change that to a haunted house adventure or even have that be where they end up after a heist, where they take shelter while being searched for by the guards. It's funny you say that because that's one of the. I've probably reskinned five, maybe four or five DCC adventures, and one of the ones that I've, I've really enjoyed flipping over to Weird Frontiers was the jeweler that dealt in Stardust. It was really, really? yeah, so it's oh, kind that's, of funny. That's awesome. Yeah, it oh, works man. very well for the game. Yeah, the the bank itself could be where all of it happens. Oh yeah. Well, what other stuff have you done? One of my favorites is also one of the ones I was going to suggest for this bit on the show, which is the Arwich Grinder, which is just such a fun. <laughs> I can't I don't know. Daniel Bishop is probably sick of me uh, hyping on this, but the Arwich Grinder is basically it's centered around an old farmhouse, you know? Yeah. And it, it fits very well with the movie. And I think that the cool thing about the Grinder is there's like an added level of, how, you know, Hell, I guess you would say, that even as a pit where you've got something that resembles an elder god, some Lovecraftian horror in the very bottom. So you could even kind of expound upon the movie and, and add these things. But let's see, what else have I done? What am I thinking? So see Queen Escapes actually ran that and tweaked it to the point to where it was taking place in the Louisiana, deep in the bayou. Just kind of moved locations. And instead of a giant sea turtle, it was a giant snapping turtle that rose out of the bog. <laughs> So, I mean, it, oh, you know, I've said this before to a lot of folks, and one of the things that I'm really excited about with Weird Frontiers is you can pull these adventures out that you run for a group and mm -hmm. reskin them. And, you know, if you do it correctly or well enough, they're not even going to know that this is an adventure that they've played. You've just got to put a, a different shade on the creature and, and tweak the story a little bit, but it, it works well. I'm just thinking that a giant snapping turtle is more terrifying than a dragon, because <laughs> I've seen snapping turtles, and just a regular snapping turtle is pretty damn scary. Yeah, I think they probably have worse attitudes than a, a dragon would, too. Those things are just mean. Yes, yes, they are. The, uh, the Bride of the Black Mance is uh, a good one. It actually works very well with... You know, with the movie in that it's centered around a house that's filled with spirits. And uh, I think that oh, it could yeah. very easily be uh, reskinned. You know, instead of the big mansion you've got, you just turn it into a farmhouse and go to town with it. Well, yeah, because the spirit's going to take over one of the psyches of the characters anyway. Yeah, so exactly. Oh. And that's, to me, that's my go-to for Haunted House Adventures. I think Harley did an amazing job of that. Yeah, that's pretty fantastic, David. <laughs> I like that. Well, I guess that takes us to our DCC feature for the show, right? The upcoming Weird Frontiers adventure, Nest of Snakes, by Michael Curtis. Yeah. This is a good one. Jim. The LaRue family were a bloodline of French aristocracy with roots stretching back to the Middle Ages. Despite their renown and wealth, dark rumors hung about the LaRue, whispered tales of black magic, blood drinking, cannibalism, and other more lascivious things. 
The LaRue, seeking a respite from both the city and a place to keep their family practices away from prying eyes, purchased a large swath of land along the border of the Snakewater Bayou and the Atchafalaya Swamp. The LaRue built the magnificent plantation they named Tall Shadows and set about the business of sugarcane and cotton production. By 1831, when the Great Barbados Hurricane lay waste to the Gulf Coast, the secretive family had fully removed themselves from outside society. The storm rocked tall shadows, changing the course of the bayou, damaging the plantation house and outbuildings, and decimating the LaRue's fields. No LaRue has been seen since the storm, and in the intervening four decades, tall shadows has been left to rot and is slowly being reclaimed by Snakewater Bayou. Now, however, rumors of a forgotten fortune reaches the ears of adventurers and treasure hunters along the western frontier, and the fate of the LaRue is about to be revealed. Well said. Nice. nice. There's some really cool stuff to this adventure, and what I really like the most is that Tall Shadows is based on a real place. It's not just a, a fanciful creation. It's based on um, a plantation in Shadows on the Tetch in Louisiana. Ah. So you can do a web search and find pictures or even floor plans. Oh, wow. If you want to get really in-depth. And I'd done something similar with a with a horror adventure that I'd written yeah. years ago that was set in the Bayou Tetch. There is oh, yeah. so much great history <laughs> and folklore that comes out of Louisiana that you're absolutely insane if you don't draw from what's available and what's there. Now, I will say I've gotten the pleasure of playtesting a little bit of this as a player, not a judge. But honestly, the minute we see the sprawl of the plantation in the movie, I'm like, no, that's the place we went to. No, that's bad. You guys need to go. <laughs> right? Well, and that's the thing. In the movie, just as in the adventure, entering abandoned houses can be dangerous. Oh, yeah. Especially if they're not really abandoned or they're abandoned for good reason. This adventure plays to the movie, and the movie plays the adventure so well. And when you look at Weird Frontiers in a broader sense, you can take characters like Mark Boone Jr. as Joseph. I throw a mask on that big burly guy. He is definitely a loser, <laughs> right? I mean, this is the guy that was brawling during the bank heist. And you can take that a step further, Clyde. When uh, they pull him down from the scarecrow pole and he's all possessed and stitched up. Ugh. To me, that screams Tommy Knob. Yeah. So you've got kind of that Weird Frontiers vibe that so easily flows into this adventure. This creepy backwater swamp story where everything isn't as it seems and where you're going to try and recover something that may or may not even be there. Yeah. Yeah, Todd totally made me think of a sin eater. Yeah. He was trying to find the spirit so he could help them. Sadly, Sam found it first. Or it, it well, found Sam. We weren't really uh, cooperating with Todd either. His was the uh, no, it, the most interesting fate. When he was finally face to face with it, he just like uh, freaked out and said, I can't trust my eyes anymore. <laughs> you couldn't trust your friends either. That's why you didn't tell them about what you saw with your eyes earlier. Come on. <laughs> That's what we call a failed script <laughs> yeah. check. Absolutely. Some sand loss in there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I think that just uh, kind of getting a, a little off top, going back to Michael Curtis's adventure, when he first turned this into me, I was just like, where has this been hiding in you? Because you look at the sinister sutures 
uh, uh-huh. adventure, and that that's a creepy adventure. But this is yeah. this is almost like Michael Curtis took a couple of injections of testosterone and really went to town on the horror element because there's some really twisted encounters in this adventure. I was really impressed by it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we tpk'd at one point and we kept going anyway just so that we could try to test out more of the rooms i will simply say there's a reason i was taking in things in this movie like the ceilings and (laughs) yep yep well jen you have a bad history even in D &D, of falling for like lurker above so i would expect you to uh to check the ceilings and the floors i can learn as an adventurer i learn (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Michael Curtis says Sinister Sutures of the Semstress was probably the first DCC adventure I ever played where I was frightened for my character. Oh, yeah. I wasn't worried that my character was going to die. It was everything else that could happen to my character. That Michael Curtis can capture that in a fantasy game shows you what he can do when he can cut loose in a horror-based game. Yeah, well, that's why I was like, why are you not writing more horror adventures, based adventures for DCC? And he's like, well, he just, he gives me other projects. And I'm like, well, you, it was just like somebody turned him loose to run in the in the fields because he ran amok with this adventure. It's like he was <laughs> allowed to go with his secret exactly. antiquities writings and shovel them into, oh, hey, let's play with some history and merge it all together. And history, horror, and folklore, those are sort of like they're, Michael. They're staples. They? they really I mean- are. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he took a lot of elements that I think would normally creep us out in real life the the partial flooding of the house and the snakes and the other swamp creatures and then of course you add the element of the the actual you know bad guys in the adventure and it's just it really it, it kind of reminds yeah it's atmosphere atmosphere yeah. atmosphere yeah. yeah screw that basement <laughs> Well, it's funny because if you read a lot of Lovecraft, generally Lovecraft is atmosphere, not action, right? I mean, yeah. We know. I, I say this is someone that enjoys reading Lovecraft. It's all about the atmosphere. Michael Curtis went atmosphere, 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 and action. <laughs> and wow, that's just the descriptions and visuals that he paints are just, yeah, they're going to they're gonna keep some people awake at night, I think. So I... Th- I think we can be counted among those that can't wait for the uh, official releases. Yep. And we're getting close. Very close. Uh, I'm kind of, it's like one of those things where I actually talked to Gil, my editor last night, and he was like, we can, we can almost see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm like, yeah, you can get a little bit excited. I've been carrying this baby around for, I don't know how many years (laughs) I'm ready to birth it. You're like an elephant. (laughs) So what you were saying is, (laughs) <laughs> you were talking to Gil over yeah. at the editorial. <laughs> yeah, yes, there we go. It, 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 <laughs> our, our, our big office of one, uh, you know, we've got one editor, one layout guy, but they're they're working hard on things. So I think people are going to be happy. Well, you and everyone else involved in Weird Frontiers has put so much time and effort oh, yeah. and work into it. And it shows. Even the community. I mean, and that's the, the cool play thing. Your playtesters. And, and, and all honesty, the guys running your playtests. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the Jesus, the, the hundreds of people that have played at the various cons, you know, I mean, all those people have kind of tipped in with their support. And that's kind of what I was hoping would happen with this is just that the community would actually accept it and use it. You know, that's the thing. You don't want to put something out where people purchase it, flip through it, put it on the shelf. You want to put something out there that someone's like, yeah, I could really, you know, see running this. 
and even add their own twists to it or their own changes to make it their own Weird West version of something compatible with DCC. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, there's quite a few different third-party settings and variants, right? There's Transylvania Adventures, Mm -hmm. there's Tales of the Fallen Empire, there's Hubris, there's Drongo, and, and they're really good but they've never captured the imagination of the community the way Weird Frontiers has. And that, I think, speaks not just to the theme of the West, yeah. but the way it's been presented in Weird Frontiers. Yeah, because you, you know, there's a lot of people that don't really find the Weird West appealing as, as far as a genre to run through a game. So over the last few years, you know, when you talk to people after games or in the Facebook community, you know, when someone says, you know, I'm not really interested in this, but this game has made me interested in it. I think that's a yeah. that's a big tip of the hat to get somebody into a yeah. genre, you know. I don't know how it happened, but I'm glad it did. So are we. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it looks like we actually have um, some viewers. What? Some listener email. <laughs> yeah. Hey there, you wonderful keepers of mysteries. I'm a big fan of the podcast. I look forward to it every month. Boy, they've been looking forward to it for quite a while. I really enjoy thinking about things I've already read from a new perspective and learning about Appendix N-related works that I've never read before. As a judge, I don't often use props, but I certainly don't have Bob's encyclopedic knowledge of music. Thank you. These things are always a joy to hear about and offer a real chance to discover something new. May I humbly suggest Lord Dunsany's The Charwoman's Shadow for a future episode. Mm. Keep up the good work. Yours, Daniel J. Bishop. Oh, so the email's <laughs> from a ringer. Got it. Okay. Well. <laughs> I, I've been wanting to read more, more Dunsany. That would be awesome. Yeah, you know, we really should because there's some really wonderful stuff. In I there. know a few listeners that would be all over that. Yeah, more than just a few, I think. We will have to add that to our list, Daniel. We'll put it out. We'll put it on the, the short list of things to work on. Get that out there. Want to see your creation in the DCC community's only free monthly e-zine? Monthly being kind of a loose term after over a year. Keep an eye out for our future topics, and we can include your material in the show companion. We'd love to see what sort of things you've created based on your Appendix N reading, and we'd love to hear how you have used the ideas we've been discussing. Do you have a favorite spell from the companion, a favorite monster from Appendix Nightmares? Let us know. In the meantime, if you're enjoying the show, please comment on the podcast or help us by posting a review on iTunes. Or drive through RPG for you zine fans. Those ratings and reviews help new listeners find the podcast. They help new readers find the zine. And since the zine is free, you should point more people to it. Be sure to drop us an email at thehub at sanctum.media. Follow us on Twitter. Mention us on Facebook. Wake us up on MeWe. Is Ello even still a thing? <laughs> uh, Jen, do you have any final thoughts for the evening? Thank you for being with us, Dave. We love you. Yeah, thanks for having yeah. me back. A little nostalgia yeah. there. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, coming back on and cackling a little with you guys. Well, you need to do it more often when you're when you're free. You know, you're always welcome back here in the in the movie archive, nights are. So. Free. Well, I'll keep. I'll, we'll let you out of the basement. I'll claw yeah. at the cellar door the next time I get. And then we'll yeah. go downstairs and watch movies with you. <laughs> well, folks, we hope we've inspired you. Thanks for listening. Good night. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum Podcast. See you
next time when the Sanctum Sequorum investigates the world of Robert E. Howard Solomon Kane in Hills of the Dead. The Sanctum Sequorum Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media. Copyright 2021. You go through your week with the same old routine. What you really want is some blood and thunder in your life. Well, friend, you found it. The Chromecast is an adventurous journey through the history of two-fisted pulp stories with your hosts, John, Josh, and Luke. We have action, horror, and adventure, all through the lens of pulp luminary Robert E. Howard. Don't just stay in your ordinary life. Find your pulp life at thecromcast.blogspot.com. The Cromcast. The Cromcast. The Cromcast. A podcast for the barbarian at heart.